I'm Bonita Nuttall, and this is The Talking Stick, the place where we unlock the secret to creating authentic connection every time we present from the inside out. You're going to hear collective wisdom, insights, and practical strategies from communication experts around the world on how to present with increased confidence, clarity, and credibility. Well, thanks so much for joining me again today. It's really lovely to have you here. And if this is your first time here, welcome. I trust that you'll all receive some great value in today's episode. And for today, we're headed to Australia for a bit of a mindset reset. Rather than seeing it as simply feedback, is this the response you want your audience to have? And if the answer is no, then you could simply got to change what you're doing. It doesn't matter what you do, change it and measure it. Did it get you closer to what you want or is it taking you further away from what you want? A big speaking event or a big sporting event or I've got my big chance to get in front of the boss. I've got, you know, I'm a bit anxious, right? That anxiety is a tuning fork for your potential. Before we get cracking on today's episode, allow me to introduce you to today's guest, Jay Headley. Jay is a high-performance sports coach, and he was recently the Fijian National Rugby Sevens Team Mindset Coach, where he helped lead them to the World Sevens Series victory in 2021. Jay is also the managing partner and co-founder of The Coaching Room Australia, as well as an NLP trainer. Coaching high-performance executives, leaders, athletes, sports coaches, and their teams to unleash their full potential, well, that's Jay's passion. And it's quite an impressive list of stars that he's helped as well, including Red Bull Formula One racing coaches for drivers Max Verstappen and Aussie race driver Daniel Ricciardo. He's also worked with the Wallabies, the Waratahs, and Firebirds Netball. Now, I first met Jay back in 2012 in Sydney, Australia, when I started my neurolinguistic programming and neurosemantics coaching training with them. The reason I wanted to share this conversation with you is because just as high-performance athletes would need to manage their nerves and anxiety, to build confidence to perform at their best, and to get themselves primed for success, so too do we need to do that as presenters. And it all starts with, essentially, understanding how we function and operate as mind, body, emotional beings. In my over 20 years worth of experience in professional presenting, I've come to understand and experience that mindset is everything. And you'll often hear me speak about how great presenters not only know their stuff, but they've learned how to present from the inside out. And we'll get into that a bit more later in this episode. Now, you also notice in this episode that we're going to change gears a bit to take a look under the proverbial hood of the car and understand the specific parts in us that help us perform at our best so that we can use them to our advantage. Jay and I had so much to talk about that we're going to drop into the middle of our conversation where we're talking about how to go about managing our state. So Jay, whether a pro athlete or in any high performance role, whether it's a CEO, executive or an expert that speaks on stage, State management is crucial for our success. And so how do you go about defining what a state is and, and how best can we manage our own state? So a state's a mind, body, emotional, energy field. So that's when you experience an emotion, you experience at a, that at a physiological as well as psychological level. And you experience it grounded in your attitude and your mental attitude grounded in your I mean state grounds everything and so it's grounded in energy 
energy in motion, emotion. Mm. Um, our state's grounded in, in the energy moving through our body. I think it was Anthony Robbins who said there are some 4,000 states and that a human being can access. We don't really buy that. There's one state. It's called energy in motion. And the way in which we label that energy, the way in which we then bring meaning to that energy creates those some 4,000 expressions of the one thing. And so Anthony was accurate in one point that there are 4,000 expressions of a state, but there is only one state, and that's energy, energy in motion through your body. The rest is labeling and then the meaning that we apply to that. So, so that gives us some insight into state management. We can go into state management through the body, through anchoring. We can go into state management through the mind, through meaning. And so change the meaning, change the experience of the, of the energy, or we can go in and we can change the energy to bring up new meaning. So there's, there's various ways we can go about doing that. We like to go outside, inside out. We like to go into the meanings and transform the physiological experience through changing meaning. Is probably one of the most powerful ways. NLP likes to go the other way. NLP likes to start at the physiological experience, anchor that in the physical being, in the physical body, and then bring the anchor as a resource state to an event. But we personally like to go the other way because meaning drives performance. Yeah, I love that. Meaning drives performance. The more meaning we place on something or we attribute to something, the more meaningful it becomes and that has a direct influence over our performance. And so Jay, if we have a look at the state of confidence specifically then, most of my clients that come to work with me want to increase their level of confidence they have when they're doing public speaking. And I think it's really important that we clarify what confidence really is. So how do you define confidence? And while it's often considered to be quite complex, it isn't really, is it, Jay? Well, it's, it's actually not. It's confidence is to confide in yourself about a skill set that you have. So if you want more confidence, you've got to build the skill. And so but people get confidence and uh, self-esteem mixed up, and we start to try to esteem ourselves through what we do. Let me kind of tease out the difference between confidence. Self-confidence is about a skill, about a capacity, about the application of an ability in the moment. And so I am not at all confident that if I were to operate on you and cut open your head and, you know, perform brain surgery, that you'd walk or talk or even survive again. Yeah, let's not do that, Jay. (laughs) Because I'm not, I haven't done the 10 years it takes to become a brain surgeon. Yeah. And so that would be misplaced confidence. And so the first question is, do you have the skill? If you have the skill and you're getting up to talk, but you're struggling with what you call confidence, it's probably because you've mapped it across to esteem and now you're trying to value yourself through what you do versus confiding yourself in a skill set. Confiding in yourself in a skill set's warranted. So I have done probably 70,000 hours of coaching. So I've got a coaching skill set that I'm extremely confident about. And that doesn't change no matter who, who I'm in the face of because I've got the 70,000 high-performance hours of coaching at a very, very high level as well as training, as well as supervising, as well as all those things. 
so that I have an immense amount of confidence in that skill that does, it doesn't go up and down. If I don't coach for a month, I come back, I'm like, what am I doing? How do I coach again? Yeah. And it comes back pretty quickly, but it's like a skill goes up and down. A skill can deteriorate. Uh, Michael Hall was big in, in drilling that into, into me and the understanding that our skills fall off as we, as we stop applying them. So confidence is associated with skill, whereas esteem, valuing yourself, when your value is conditional and you apply it to getting an outcome, for example, or winning a match or, or uh, winning a negotiation or transforming an organization, when you are personally attached to the, your value being involved in that processing then it's likely that when things go wrong, you get an esteem hit uh, because you've linked your esteem in here to something out there as in an outcome. When you do that, yeah, your esteem goes up and down. And so, you know, we advocate for not attaching your esteem to the outside world. Your value is a given. A given. So, you know, the reality universe has spent five billion years evolving you and you're trying to get your value from what you do is crazy. Uh, you're already the most valuable expression of the universe. Why are you trying to value yourself? I really love that, Jay. And, you know, unfortunately, I'm not sure if you're, if this is your experience as well in the coaching space that you've been in, but, you know, unfortunately in a lot of boardrooms and in a lot of you know, professional spaces as well, where, you know, professional speaking circuit, all of that sort of thing. That's not always the reality for a lot of people. You know, there's a, there are a lot of people that are still hinging their sense of self-worth, their sense of self-esteem, sure. as you're talking about it, you know, onto how well did I do there? And, and also that kind of still gets driven by, I think there's a cultural aspect of it or a societal aspect. What do you, what do you think that's about? And, and how do we go about changing it from like on a bigger level? Changing what? Well, changing the relationship, I think, that we have um, and that society still has with if you do something really well, then you are very, very valuable and you are really worthy and unlinking that. So there's a, there's a, a diamond in the Tower of London, if you've ever been in there, that is so big that's under, under lock and case, like four or five lock and cases. Yeah. And there's a dirty, big Scotsman sat there eyeballing you as you're close to it and there's alarms and all sorts of things. That diamond is the single most valuable thing in our understanding. It's so valuable, it's valueless. Wow. It's, you, you couldn't swap it for a tenner. Why? Because no one's going to give you a 12er or a 20, you know, <laughs> or a 50 or a hundred for it because they're not going to be able to get that because it's it's so valuable. No one's going to trade you anything for it. That's you. Mm. So to realize that your value is already a given. It's taken five billion years for you to evolve here. You are you are the highest expression of humanity. You're the highest level of maturity that humanity's ever been at in its history. And, you know, from its intelligence, from its expression, you're already here. You're already valuable. So to put conditions on that value is simply crazy. To give you a metaphor, if you were a gold ring, mm -hmm. you're associating as the gold. 
as the shininess, as the, the ability to fit a finger and hold a rock, your ability to, to gleam and be beautiful. Mm-hmm. Whereas if we took a mallet to a, a, a ring and hacked it into a lump and then put that lump into a cauldron and, and burned it and then fired it down to gold and then poured that gold out and let it set, that gold is worth exactly the same amount of money as it was in the ring form. Yeah. So rather than seeing yourself as the ring, as the shininess, as the ability to fit, realize you're the gold. It doesn't matter what shape you take. It doesn't matter if you're covered in earth and dirt. You're still gold. And so that's, that's the human condition is to, is to try and manipulate ourselves into becoming something when we're already there. When a human being realizes that, there's a freedom that comes online that allows a human being to play and engage in play itself. And in play is where joy, where expression happens, where self-actualization happens, and from our perspective, where self-realization happens in play. Is that also, Jay, I mean, I love that. Absolutely love that. Is that also because there's there's non-attachment to a specific outcome anymore? It's not like, and as you said, like, I'm not trying to be better. I'm not trying to become anything. You know, it's it's that I already am all of those things. And now I'm just free to kind of do and, and show up the way that is valuable and that works. So you've done the work to wake up wake up to what you are and what you aren't. The next piece of work is to grow up. Right. Growing up is getting more and more perspectives. So where we get stuck as human beings is we get stuck in our perspectives. Yeah. And our perspectives govern our meaning making. So there's a first, second, third, fourth, and a fifth person perspective a human being can take. Okay. First person perspective is my perspective is based on my beliefs, my opinions, my ideals, my understandings. It's a first person. That's where most emotion happens in the first person. When someone's emotional, we know they're in first person. We know they're caught in first person. Second person is the ability to look as another human being, to look as a person and take on their perspectives, therefore take on their experience, their emotions, their opinions, their values. Third person is to objectify, to make object what is what you have been subject to, and to objectify it is to take a bird's eye view on it, a third person, a rational perspective, a measured, rational, observable perspective. Fourth person is to take a systems, an environmental perspective. The environment works systemically, and so it works as an ecosystem. It's ecosystemic. That's a fourth-person perspective, is to see the whole, not the parts. Mm -hmm. The fifth-person perspective is to hold all four of those perspectives without overvaluing any of them, in fact, not valuing any of them, but perceiving all of them simultaneously. Mm. That gives the human being an immense amount of capacity to make multiple meanings, not just one from a single perspective, but make meaning from every perspective. So meaning comes alive, it becomes rich, it becomes paradoxical, it becomes uh, simultaneous. And when a human being is able to do that, they've got a broader view over things, they're not going to get caught in any single perspective. Being able to see it, but also simultaneously being able to see its partiality, it's a partial view. So therefore, I'm not going to get caught. Even though I can see the meaning, I can see how that means something to you. 
I'm not going to get caught in that meaning because I can also see alternative meanings, alternative truths. So that allows a human being to expand. When we expand, we grow up. That allows us to do the work of cleaning up, which allows us to do what you were talking about, which is show up. And so showing up is the output of all the work. That was Rumi who said, how can you expect the pay if you won't do the work? Right. Wow. And so, I mean, Jay, this is the four quadrants. I think what you're speaking to there is the, you know, the four quadrants model. And quadrants. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think the, the beauty about that, and if we just link it back to presenting, because there's, I mean, that is invaluable as a model for relationship building in particular, but just about anything. And if we look about, you know, if we look at relationships with presenters, and our relationship with the, with the audience, whoever that might be. And, you know, from their perspective, because a lot of, a lot of my clients come to me and they say, you know, Bonita, when I'm looking out into the audience, you know, all I see is I see all these faces and people just look, you know, they make meaning out of the faces that they see and, you know, of what the event's about and all of that sort of thing. How do we link it there? And how can people actually practically go about using this model in the way that they present so that it gives them more option Well, first to realise that they're making meaning from a first-person perspective about what they're seeing out there in the second person. So so they're making meaning. But the meaning's not coming from from what they're doing now. It's not coming from what they're experiencing with that audience there and now. It's it's coming from what they have experienced in the past. And so we bring our meanings from our past experiences and project it on our current experience. And so to know that, Whatever you're experiencing is actually your projection, i.e., if you think people are going to judge you, then you're judging that they're judging you. It's you who's doing the judging, right? And so you're projecting judgment upon their faces as if that's true and real and experiencing that in your neurosemantic system as if it's real and true and happening. But you see, if you, if you go in you check in, and just ask, this is what you know you would do as a coach, just ask a couple of questions about how do you know to call this judgment? What references in the past are you referencing that tells you this is judgment? And they may say, well, you know, it's the same as when I did this event and, you know, people come up to me afterwards and said that went a bit flat and I noticed the faces and so it's similar. I'm seeing similar faces to that and so I'm thinking, shit, it must be me, I must be off today rather than seeing it as simply feedback, is this the response you want your audience to have? And if the answer is no, then you could simply got to change what you're doing. It doesn't matter what you do, change it and measure it. Mm-hmm. Did it get you closer to what you want or is it taking you further away from what you want? And so now we're using the audience second person as feedback. We've gone to third person now. We're objectifying the feedback. And then we'll, we'll start realizing that the audience and ourselves are a system, that we're operating ecosystemically, that you're feeding into me and I'm feeding into you both relationally Uh, psychologically, physiologically, that we're all connected through language, we're all connected through consciousness, we're all connected through our humanity. You're never disconnected. And so if if you'll then lean into those connections, you'll start to utilise the feedback of the second-person perspective to change the first-person meanings, transform your experience and let that flow back out through the audience to move them. Mm. And that's what happens. 
into flow. But time, space, and the and the self just just background, and now we're just in flow. There's no self in the way. Yeah, and I think what you what I'm hearing in that as well, Jay, is you know instead of taking it personally and personalizing it, and then emotionalizing, you know, this is what's gone wrong, and it's about me, and then adding also potentially or connecting it again, going back to what we spoke about earlier, connecting it again to self esteem. Now, because I'm seeing that, this means that I'm a you know I'm a crap presenter, or I'm not good at what I do, or I'm flat today, and so you know that then becomes the that then informs what we do next and how we show up after that. Yeah, I love that. I love being able to look at that and and being able to use that as a model to to really gain some perspective and step out of that what can be a really negative cycle and actually can down, you know, down spiral. I've met with a lot of clients who if they see feedback from an audience will immediately take that on board and for example, they'll start speeding up because they want to get through it as quickly as they possibly can and just get off. Right. Well, that's what we would call external authority, where now they're giving their authority to the audience rather than internal authority, whereas I know what I've got to say is valuable and important. I know that, you know, once I get into it, you're going to probably find it valuable and important too because you like the topic that I'm speaking on. Otherwise, you probably wouldn't be here. And so I know those things. So when I have internal authority, the, the, the audience no longer has any authority over me. Now it's an inside job. Now it's inside out. So now now my internal authority means that, that I begin to author my expression and then I check. I check out here with an external check. How's that landing for you? And if it's not landing, I go back to my authoring, change what I'm doing, and then check how's that landing for you constantly until we're in unison. And then I no longer need to do that. Now it's neither internal nor external. Actually, internal, external are, are two halves of the whole. And so that unison that, that it begins to cycle in a much more ecosystemic way, and we begin to we begin to become one. You're you're transforming me, the speaker, and I'm transforming you you, the audience, simultaneously. Wow. Same for sports, same for CEOs of organizations. And so, you know, to go back to the very, very, very first thing you asked, confidence starts with skill. Do you have the skill? If you don't have the skill, go develop it. Right. You need to develop the skill. Otherwise, you're bringing confidence to a lack of skill and you're overconfident. People are going to go, you're an idiot. Because you've got this confidence, but you've got no skill to go with it. So so what's that about? Yeah. So the first thing is answer the question, do I have the skill? Have I put the hours in? To build to any level of mastery, any level of mastery, to be able to get to a level of mastery is 10,000 hours. Have you put the 10,000 hours in? Oh, have you done that? Yeah. If you haven't, go and do it. Stop wanting false confidence when you haven't built it. Let me give you an example, right? In the UK, there's an experiment in the 70s where they took, I think it was 150 people who'd won lotto and tracked them over two decades into the 90s. And they tracked their happiness scale. 150 people, one lotto, tracked their happiness scale. And it was like something like 80% of them in the mid-90s said they were worse off than before they won Lotto. Wow. Why? I wonder if, if, yeah, could it be because they hinged their happiness on having that money? They may have. 
They may have. That's an external form of happiness. They may have done that. What the study pulled out, which was quite extraordinary in some ways, is that the main reason they pointed to for the lack of happiness Mm -hmm. was that they hadn't put the time in to build the skill of being able to handle money Therefore, the psychological effects, the social effects, the relational impacts, the change of lifestyle, but the big changes that occur in their social field, for example, they hadn't built the skill to be able to handle money and so suddenly they had a whole lot of pressures coming at them because they hadn't done the hours and hours and hours and hours and hours and hours and hours of creating that money for themselves. It was gifted to them in a way. So therefore, they didn't have the skills of being able to work with and be with what they needed to do in order to, you know, renegotiate with people, change the way in which they, it's it's all happened overnight. Wow. And so they don't have the confidence to be able to handle what it means in our society to have money. They hadn't built it up over time. Wow. And so it's true here as well. So the first question for for your people to ask is, do you have the skill? Yes. Then it's not a confidence issue. Yeah. You've probably crossed it over with esteem. And now you're probably trying to esteem yourself through what you do. The other thing is that let's kind of talk a little bit into anxiety because anxiety from our perspective is, is highly misunderstood. And so it's a highly contentious topic. People get very upset about anxiety. Okay. Anxiety is what we call a secondary state. Yeah? It's a reflexive state. That means it's a state about a state. So from internal perspectives, from an internal perspective, we build a state upon a state. Yes. Anxiety is about going into the future yep. and imagining something hasn't happened yet but doing it in first person. So as I imagine, I'm imagining it from my own perspective, looking out my own eyes, seeing what I'm seeing, hearing what I'm hearing in the future. Now, if there was a tipping point between best case and worst case, Mm -hmm. now I'm going to go worst case scenario and I'm going to to overvalue worst case scenario because if I get the worst case scenario right and I can avoid that away from motivation, that's that's another... Uh, thinking pattern, cognitive intention. So I've got future orientation, cognitive intention. I've got worst case scenario, cognitive intention. And now I've got away from motivation, motivated away from what I don't want. Yes. When a human being does that, they fire their body up with cortisol. Cortisol drives a fight, flight response, and anxiousness is the state experience felt in, in the mind-body emotional system. Right. But the thing about anxiousness and the thing thing that most people miss is the best case scenario has to be a possibility for the person to experience anxiety. And so I'm not talking about chronic anxiety that would be diagnosed by a psychotherapist. That's not the kind of anxiety I'm talking about. I'm talking about everyday anxiety that you and I experience when something big's going to happen and, you know, I feel a bit anxious in my body in the lead up to that. Yeah. Yeah, Like a big speaking event. Yeah. 
a big speaking event or a big sporting event or I've got my big chance to to get in front of the boss. I've got, you know, I'm a, I'm a bit anxious, right? Yeah. The, the anxiety is a tuning fork for your potential. So what that means is that, that it has to be a possibility that things could go well for you to balance that out with how things may not go for the anxiety to fire up in your body as a mind body a state emotional state and so it's actually pointing to your potential if you listen to it it's actually pointing to possibility because if it wasn't possible you wouldn't get anxious and so actually to use anxiety that way to realize that holy shit this is my potential arising here and lean into that enables the flow state which enables self actualization and ultimately self-realization in the moment. Wow. I mean, that's huge, Jay. That's that's like a whole reframe of anxiety and being able to harness it and use it as a positive, if we need to label it, but use it to our advantage for to get us a better result. And I think that is, yeah, that's gold. That's gold. That's powerful. We don't think it's a reframe. We think it's a frame. We think that that society has actually reframed anxiety itself to, to pop in a societal reframe, right? Is that, you know, that's that's the truth of our humanity is that is that something has to be possible in order for us to experience anxiety we've just flipped it the other way and now we're associating with what could possibly go wrong not as if it's a possibility but as if it's a probability in the first person right and so i've got to experience it in first person as if it's true and real and your mind body emotional system doesn't know it's not well that's true both ways if you lean into the possibility side and you lean into your potential and you begin to self-actualize, then you're starting to author that future now. But Jay, I think what stops a lot of people from doing that, and um, you know, I know this is a generalization, but it's, you know, oftentimes it's that thing of, yeah, what I'm capable of and I know that what I could possibly do scares the crap out of me. Yeah, but then, then like, how does it scare the crap out? It doesn't scare the crap out of you. You scare the crap out of you. So <laughs> firstly, let's let's get language right and bring it back to where it actually is. You're scaring the crap out of yourself through the movies you're playing in your head of how things could go wrong. You're doing that. It's not doing it to you. You're doing it to yourself. So if that's true, stop playing the movies. I love it. And then if you are going to play movies, which which we don't advocate, but if you are going to play movies, play movies about how you'd like it to go, not how you'd like it not to go. Play movies about what's actually possible. Piece all of the parts of your past together to make one holistic future. Project that into the future in first person. You'll start experiencing the mind-body-emotional states of, of joy. You'll start experiencing mind-body-emotional states of confidence. You'll start experiencing mind-body-emotional states of flow and presence. Is that part of a, and we're already a couple of minutes over, Jay, which is, I mean, this is amazing stuff, but, you know, is that part of also uh, like a pre-game ritual and, and getting, you know, someone into the zone before they're going to go either do a sporting event or go deliver a presentation? That's true for a little while. Okay. It's true until it's not. And so it's necessary and it's necessary, but not sufficient. Okay. 
And so to have that is like putting a Band-Aid over. It's the symptom. You're dealing with the symptom. If you go back and realize that it's you making the movies, if you just stop making the movies and stay in the present, then anxiety can't run. If you realize that when it does run, it's only pointing to the possibility of your potential anyway, stop making the movies. Now you can just flow in the present state. You can flow knowing that you've done the work, you've got the skills. Now let that play. Let it play out. Go into play and enjoy yourself and just get lost in the moment. Get lost in, you know, what it is you're doing. If you're speaking, do you know your topic? If you do, let go, throw your papers to the side and let it out. Have a good time. Play with it. It's like it's like it's in your system already. It's the only the fact that you're not you're distrusting yourself. It's not that you need to trust yourself. Stop distrusting yourself. Mm. And when you stop doing that, you'll flow. You'll go straight into the flow field where you're at one with what it is you're doing. And from there, it'll just come out. It'll come out of you. It'll flow through you. You don't have to think about it. It's already there. Unless you've got Alzheimer's, in which case, stay with your notes. <laughs> Oh, my God. Jay, so much amazing, amazing stuff in here. Honestly, I know that we could probably talk until the cows come home about all of this stuff. But thank you so much for your time, for being here today, for sharing of your your insights and your wisdom. Um, some really beautiful and amazing stuff in there. So thank you so much for being here. You're welcome. Thanks. So... Wow. If you are interested in finding out more about The Coaching Room Australia, NLP, Neurosemantics, and of course about uh, Jay Headley, you can find all of their details on my website. So go and have a look there and you will find everything that there is to know. Whew, that was pretty intense and deep and wonderful and I love it. And I hope that you've taken some pretty cool stuff out there for yourself as well. Hey, if you want to connect with me directly or learn more about how you can work with me, all of my details are also on my website bonitanuttle.com. If you haven't already, please hit subscribe, share this with someone you know could benefit and together we'll build on how to present you from the inside out one week at a time. Hey, thanks for listening. I'm Bonita Nuttle. I look forward to your company next episode. And until then, remember to turn up the you in all you do.